I wasn't originally scheduled to preach this week. Pastor Josh got had a little family emergency, so he called me up last minute. He's like, hey, can you, uh, can you preach? And I'm like, sure. So I'm gl- glad that I'm here with you guys. It was just unexpected. And so uh, we're going to work through something I have no idea what I'm preaching about. So we'll just kind of figure it out as we go. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This is the year of the word. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but Mercy Road has decided as a leadership that uh, we're going to kind of have a theme for this year. You typically do this over the, the years. There's themes that we kind of keep everything kind of uh, gravitational pull, the, the pull everything around. And that's the, this year is the, the word. That's the theme for the year. And uh, I don't know if you do it as a family. We do this as a family as well. We kind of create a theme or a, something we feel like God's speaking to us about, maybe something we need to shift or change in our rhythms or something. And so our family's word for this coming year is the word fervent. If you want to find out more about why that's the case, stop me afterwards and we can chat about that. But I would encourage you to do that because it's really, it's really cool to kind of bring your entire family, maybe you're, you're as a couple around one concept or theme that you feel like God's speaking to you about. For Mercy Road, this theme is the, year, uh, the, the word. This is the theme for the year. And I'm excited about this because ultimately what we want to do is we want to help you grow in your desire to be in God's word, grow in your love for God's word. I fully believe that all life flows out of God's word. And I, I love God's word. I mean, I love it so much that I decided to like give my entire life to study God's word, to help people understand God's word, to try to teach it clearly. I absolutely love God's word. But if I can be honest, I know you're not used to being honest in church all the time. So uh, let's just for a second be honest. If I'm honest, there are some things about God's word that I don't really, I don't really care for. I don't love, right? Um, I maybe disagree with. It's difficult. Like there's some passages in God's word, like Jeremiah 29, 11. I love that verse, right? That's like a coffee cup verse. You know what I mean? Like, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's, I, lo- I love that verse. I love like John 3, 16, you know? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So that whoever believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, love that. Love it. Such a good verse. But there's some verses I don't like. I don't know about you, but there's some verses I don't really, kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. Um, Verses like, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. I don't know if I like that all the time, right? (laughs) It means I got to like, literally lay down all of my own agenda, my own desires, my own feelings, my own emotions, like for someone else. I mean, Jesus died for the church. I mean, that's the kind of sacrifice I'm supposed, I don't know if I like that. So uh, I don't really know if it should be in there. Um, I don't know if I like what it says in Romans. You know, Romans talks about how you should not look to gratify the sinful desires of the flesh. You should put those to death. Sometimes I really want to do what I want to do. I don't think that should be in there either. Um, I don't really like 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians talks about how you should flee from sexual immorality and, and temptation. Sometimes it's, it's nice to just kind of like walk the line a little bit. You know what I mean? I don't really like that either. Um, you know what? Here's one. Old Testament, Malachi, don't like it. Bring back the full tithe to the storehouse. I think I'm going to give any of my money to the church. No, I don't like that one either. <clears throat> Can I ask you a question? Why is it really tense in here right now? 
David, you're ripping pages out of the Bible. That's why we're expecting lightning to strike you at any moment right now, you know. You know what's interesting is, is, yeah, I'm ripping pages out of the Bible right now, but it's no different than what we do with our lives. I mean, truthfully, it's no different than what many of us, how we live. I mean, we like certain aspects of the Bible. I mean, we like to align our lives with certain things because it, it, it feels like it's right. You know, it feels like it lines up with what we want, what we feel, what we believe. But man, there are certain things that we don't like. So we kind of approach the Bible like a buffet. You know, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this, but I'm going to leave that. And, and what's even worse is a lot of times, I mean, I'm guilty of this, guys. Like, there are times and seasons I don't even touch this thing. And I'm a preacher that's supposed to be in it all the time. Like, I'm supposed to do this for a living professionally. And there are times that my Bible's just collecting dust on a, on a shelf. My whole life is like omitting God's word right here. Now listen, just to kind of set you at ease, this isn't really a Bible. It's a journal with blank pages, okay? But when you thought it was a Bible, it was tense. Some of you were offended. Some of you were like, I'm about to walk out of here. Some of you, listen, some of you got really uncomfortable because it felt a little bit convicting. And here's why I believe it made all of us a little bit uncomfortable. Even me, as I'm ripping empty pages, I'm like, I feel really uncomfortable right now. Here's why, here's why. I believe no matter where you are on your journey, your spectrum of faith, I believe that you know deep down inside that in the pages of this book, if this were an actual Bible, there is power, that this book is sacred. There is something special that kind of holds everything together. And so everything inside of your being, no matter where you are on the spectrum of belief, is like the preacher should not be ripping pages out of a Bible. That's, that's just not kosher. You shouldn't be doing that. Because we all know that this is powerful. The question that I want us to wrestle with, I don't, I don't put this on us to like condemn us or make us feel a certain burden or weight. I, I do this because I wanna elicit an emotional response with you. My intention is to get you to wrestle with some things. To ask yourself the question, okay, why, why does my life in some areas not reflect the value that this is? Why do I not cherish this? Why is this not a treasure? Why is this not something that I go to, man, every single day and I'm addicted to it? I'm obsessed with it. I don't know about you, but I have some addictions in my life, coffee being one of them. I've probably had about six or seven cups this morning. Explains a lot, right? I, I love coffee. I mean, I go to the coffee pot every single morning and that first sip of coffee, right? It's like, <gasps> like I could do it through an IV. It'd be amazing. You know? But you just feel that like hot coffee going down your esophagus and you can feel it all the way down your sternum into your, it's so, it feels so good. Listen, that's what I want and that's what we want for you to feel in your soul when you get in God's word. I want it to feel like this refresh where you're like, I just have to have it every single day. I'm so obsessed with it. It's so refreshing to my part soul because that's what God's word is. Did you know that in Jesus's day, they didn't actually have like a full canonized scripture like we do? In fact, if you went to church in one of the towns like Capernaum or something in Jesus' day, you didn't, they didn't have like a scroll with the whole Bible. You know, remember you grew up in church, like if any of you guys grew up in church, there's the big Bible like set out on the big altar up there. Anybody, anybody? Yeah, my dad was a pastor right there. It wasn't like that in Jesus' day. They typically had one book in that synagogue. So Capernaum would have one book, maybe Ezekiel. Tiberius would have one book. Maybe, maybe it was, uh, you know, Isaiah. That's why you hear passages where Jesus gets up and he reads the scripture, reads the scroll of Isaiah, right? And that scroll would have cost that synagogue or that community the equivalent of modern day 
finances would have been about a quarter of a million dollars for one book. That's how valuable the Bible was. And here we are in modern American culture where we've got 15 Bibles collecting dust on our shelves. I think we've lost the understanding of just how valuable this thing is. This is powerful. And if you, if you get nothing else in here today, I want to stir something up inside of you that just causes you to say, I just want to dig into God's Word a little bit more. I just want to dig into it. So if you've never read the Bible, my hope for you today is like, man, I just want to go and start reading the Bible. If you've read it, but you've kind of just dabbled in it, my hope for you today is to make a pattern of this every single day that you begin to step into God's word and that you get God's, that you get in God's word so God's word can get in you because that's what changes you. Come on, you can set all the resolutions you want to this year, but nothing's going to change outside the power of God's word and his spirit speaking through his word to you in your soul. That's what I want for you. So we're going to look at John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And, um, and, and so I'm going to have you turn there. And in a couple minutes, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a couple of things that I want you to write down about God's Word. But I had to ask myself, like, why is it that sometimes I'm lackluster about God's Word? And maybe you've got to ask yourself that question, too. I don't know if it was because you, you grew up and, and maybe your parents or your grandparents kind of gave you a, a false perspective. But maybe it was your church. It was really just, it felt like it was archaic or old or just not practical or relevant, you know? Maybe it was your grandmother that she was the Bible thumper of your family or something, you know? And you're like, man, I don't want to hear from grandma again. She's going to like use the Bible to tell me how I've behaved wrong over this past week or something visiting her, you know? And so it's like the grandma's the one that's like, you, you shouldn't sin. It's, it's, it's not fun, right? The Bible says so. And you're like, well, grandma, you're probably not doing it right, you know? It's like, it's fun, right? I mean, it's like, I mean, even the Bible says that sin is fun. For a season. Scripture says it's pleasurable for a season, but in the end it leads to destruction and death. So maybe like for growing up, you just kind of had this weird twisted view of everything because you felt your desires conflicting with those things and it felt archaic and out of date and so it just wasn't relevant for you. Or maybe it felt like a children's book to you. You're like, all these stories are kind of juvenile. They seem a little fantastical. I don't know if I believe all the miracles that are in there. It doesn't seem very practical for me. It doesn't seem like that could actually happen. You know, the Bible... It's not a children's book. You understand that? If you read through it, in fact, if the Bible was made into a full-length feature film, it would be like rated R at least. There's some really explicit things in the Bible. Some of you are like, oh, really? (laughs) Check your heart, okay? (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. Like the story, Noah's Ark. We paint murals on our nurseries of the story of Noah's Ark. These cute little animals and stuff. Do you know the bottom line of that story is everybody dies, (laughs) Like, what? There's a story about a couple of guys, three men who rebelled against Moses, their leader, Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And so they had this trial, and Moses is on one side, and those three men are on the other, and they prayed to God. They said, hey, God, whoever's in the wrong, would you split the earth and swallow the people who were in the wrong? So the earth splits, and they swallow Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Can you imagine telling your kids that at night before they go to bed? If you rebel against mom and dad, you know, you never know. Night, night, (laughs) sweet dreams, you know, like, it's not a children's book, guys. This is not something we like learned these cute stories growing. These are actual, real, historical things that took place that is a part of God communicating his heart to his people. Maybe for you it seems like boring. And that's fine. Like I get it. It's hard to like read the Bible. But I can tell you something. The Bible's not boring. You read it, it's like, it's like Avengers on steroids. There's this guy named Samson. You ever read his story? He had some issues 
But God used him in some powerful ways to uh, defeat the enemies of God. In one instance, he took a jawbone of a donkey and defeated a thousand enemies of God. Okay? That's like incredible Hulk status right there. That's unbelievable. First of all, I have to like kind of question the intelligence of his enemies right there because a thousand, I mean, you would think it like, I don't know, 976, you're kind of going, okay, I'm bowing out right here. It's okay. You can take this, right? 977 crawls over this like pile of bodies. Like, oh, there's Bob. You know, it's like, I don't, but nevertheless, a thousand people. Joseph Bashabas, he was a guy that killed 800 people with a spear. I mean, these are like epic war movies. The original 300. You like that movie? That story takes place with Gideon. It's not really that story. It's like an inspiration behind that story. I mean, this is how powerful and exciting and amazing the stories in the Bible are, and they give us truths about who, God's, who God is. In fact, there's some stories in there. I mean, have you ever heard the story of Jacob and Rachel, where Jacob works for seven years to win the rights to be able to marry Rachel? I mean, gosh, how romantic. That's like a Nicholas Sparks novel, you know? But then it turns Jerry Springer real quick. <laughs> Their wedding night, he thinks he's going to bed with Rachel, and he wakes up, and it's her sister Leah. Like, what? That's some issues right there. You know what I mean? There's so many crazy things in the Bible as you dig into and you begin to learn it. So I get that it can be a little bit complicated, and it can be difficult. So this year, what we want to encourage you to do is get into God's Word. Begin to create a habit of God's Word. Here's why. Because four reasons. The first reason is God's Word is primary. It's primary. In fact, John chapter one says this, starting in verse one. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. It was first. It was the very first thing here. That's what John says. Now, every time I read this, I can't help but remember, my dad was a preacher growing up. He's really like cheesy jokes. You're like, Davey, apple doesn't fall from the tree. Uh, he would say like, well, this is why God's favorite sport is baseball. In the beginning. <laughs> so, uh, The crazy thing that's going to be stuck in your head, and someone's going to tell that at your next family gathering, right? Don't tell that joke, okay? Don't. I'm scarred for life, all right? In the beginning was the Word. It was first. It was primary. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, look what it says right here. This can be confusing. He was with God in the beginning. So it says the Word was with God. Then it says he was with God. Well, who is he? Jesus. That's the right answer in church, right? I set you up for that. It was a little soft toss. Jesus is the word. Everything written in this book are Jesus' words. We just celebrated Christmas when God came in the form of a baby. Jesus. God Nabat, Jesus, comes in the form of a baby. But Jesus, long before he came to earth and walked the earth, he was here. He was here in the very beginning of all time when there was nothing. In fact, Genesis tells us that there was chaotic nothingness, that the earth was void and formless. The Hebrew word for that is tohu vohu. Say tohu vohu. Tohu vohu literally means chaotic nothingness. I don't know how something can be chaotic and nothing all at the same time, but that's what existed. And in that chaotic nothingness, for all of eternity, was the Word. And God, the Word, begins to speak the Word over the chaotic nothingness. And what begins to happen, as Genesis 1 tells us, is all of the chaos begins to put, be put in order. And He constructs these laws that begin to govern everything about creation. Laws that you and I cannot against, okay? Law of gravity. 
right? We can build and construct some things that kind of prevent or like go against the law of gravity. But if you were to go and kind of jump off of this building right here after service because you didn't think gravity existed, you'd hurt yourself, okay? Gravity exists. You can't fight against that law. There's some laws that the creator set this universe up to to govern all of this, that when we align ourselves, our lives, with the word, with these laws, things just go better for us. I mean, think about it like this. Like, uh, anybody have the new iPhone? iPhone 13, anybody got that? Anybody's got advanced stuff? Okay, cool, just a few people. Only a few people in the services have had that. I FaceTimed my mom the other day, and I saw this, like, really cool, unfocused background on her FaceTime. It was like really artistic. I'm like, how'd you do that? She got, I got the new iPhone 13. I'm like, you're my mom. I feel so far behind in technology right now. This is crazy. She's like, hey, can you help me? Like, I don't know how to make this thing happen. I'm like, I don't know. I don't have an iPhone 13. You need to talk to somebody else, right? Well, my mom's trying to figure this thing out. And I'm like, okay, maybe you could talk to another user of it, but, but it's so new that everybody else is trying to figure it out too. So who do you need to talk to if you really want to kind of figure out how to get this thing to operate in the way that it was meant to operate? You should talk to, ultimately, if you really want to find out how to maximize it, talk to the developers of it. Talk to the creators of it. Because the developers and creators set it and constructed it to operate in a certain way that when you operate it in alignment with the way that it was meant to operate, it is powerful. It does something awesome. And that's exactly what this universe is set up to be. God was first. He was primary. He set it up. The problem is, is we like to bend God's word around our lives. Because in our lives, what we like to do is we like to become like God, kind of making the rules for ourselves. Because we don't like certain rules or certain ideas or certain commands or certain principles or certain structures of God's ways. So we do what feels good, what seems good, what seems right at the time. Have your emotions ever fooled you before? They fooled me. I could have sworn something was the right thing until two years, five years later, I look back, I'm like, that was definitely not the right call. Shouldn't have done that. And I'm left with a lot of regrets. Why? Because I went against God's ways and God's word. He is primary. And so when the the person who's primary, who set it all up, that's the person we should look at to go, well, how should this operate? God's word tells us all we need to know about God. Tells us about God. You realize that that the, the subject of this book is God. It's all about him. It's the story of him. It's the story of how he wants to interact with us. And the object of this book is us. He has written this through men to teach us about who he is. Why? Because it teaches us about who we are. And so many people are walking through life right now and you don't have any idea who you are because you're not getting to know who your creator is. Can I say it this way? You don't know who you are until you know whose you are. You've got to get to know your creator who's primary because every single one of us in our lives have something that is primary, that's first. It's first place. Can I ask you a question? Whatever's first in your life, can it hold up to the pressure of life? I don't know if you're a college football fan. Anybody college football fans in here? Okay, it was a cool weekend for college football, right? Any Michigan fans in here? Sorry, guys. (laughs) Um, 
This is going to land even worse. Uh, I'm not a Georgia fan, but I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, graduated from Tuscaloosa County High School. I'm a huge Alabama fan, roll tide. And I, can, I just, can I just like openly admit this is a counseling session right here? It's really hard to always be number one. It's just tough. It really is. I, I, could, I couldn't help. I mean, I just grew up. It was indoctrinated into me. I mean, as a senior in high school, one of my good friends, uh, you know, he's a lot older than me, but he, he became a good friend. He went to our church. He was the director of marketing for Alabama football. So at all the games, this was before the Saban era, before they were like winning all the national championships. When they weren't that good, we were on 50-yard line. We were doing the tailgate tent or the, the, the VIP tent for tailgating with the, the catered food and the live band. I mean, it was just an incredible football experience. Got me indoctrinated into Alabama Crimson Tide. It was so great. Now we're just winning all the time, and it's really hard to win all the time. I'm not catching some empathy from you guys, but I, let me tell you why. I'm, I'm serious. Because every single week, the opponent is out to get you. They're bringing their best game. They're pulling out all the plays from the playbook, all the tricks they got. They're studying you more than they're studying anybody else. There is a pressure to being number one. It seems great, but there's a pressure to it. Can I, can I ask you a question? Whatever's number one in your life, can it stand up to the pressure? Because there is a pressure to whatever you've placed on the throne of your life. So many of us, we place our kids on the throne of our life. And so everything about our lives, everything about our schedules are oriented around our kids. Now, am I saying we shouldn't love our kids? No, we should love our kids. We should steward our kids. We should grow them up to learn how to follow after Jesus and be really contributing citizens of this, this world, right? We should, but we can't orient our lives around them or place all of our hope and expectations in them because they will disappoint us. Your spouse. Come on, I don't know if you know this, but if you're married, like, your spouse will disappoint you. You're like, I don't know. Well, you were just married yesterday. Congratulations. We're so glad you're here. I promise you it's coming, okay? Your spouse was never meant to be number one in your life. They can't hold the weight of that. Your career was never meant to be number one in your life. It can't hold the weight of that. There's nothing that can hold the weight of your worship that can sit on the throne of your life that can be primary except for Jesus. He's the only one that can withstand the pressure that is coming at you because life is coming at you. And Jesus has to be primary and preeminent in that. He was first among all creation and his word is what gives us that. So he's primary. Second, second thing is God's word is pervasive. God's word is pervasive. What that means is that it, it's, kind of, it's outside of time. God is outside of time, and so he, he made sure his word was applicable to anything outside of time. So it is pervasive and transcendent on any historical timeline and on any culture. So that means as culture changes, friends, God's word is still relevant. Culture doesn't change God's word. God's word through God's people change and shape culture. Come on, friends. God's word is pervasive. It has always existed. It always can speak to the situations. And I just wonder what it would look like if we decided to be a people of the word, a people of the book. I wonder what it would look like in our lives if we woke up every morning and we made God's word primary because we knew it was pervasive. Come on, I'm convicted by this. The past year and a half with everything that's going on, you know what I tend to do? I wake up and I look at social media and I scroll. I wake up and I look at CNN or I look at Fox 
I look at whatever you want, and I start worrying all the time about these things. And I start going, my mind's going through all this stuff, and I just, I'm wondering, like, why am I anxious? Why am I depressed? Well, because I'm listening to all these other voices. I wonder what it would look like if we spent more time on our face before God rather than on Facebook. If we opened up God's Word first and we made that primary, the first thing we did every single day, set the lens for our day to say, God, what do you have to say about this? Because His Word speaks to the cultural things that are going on right now. And his people are mandated. We are called to bring the culture of kingdom to this earth. So I'm, I'm, just con- I'm so convicted by this right now. Set this lens. Set my day. It's primary. It's pervasive. You see, God's word is 66 books written by 40 different authors, all majorly different professions, right? So you've got doctors. You've got fishermen. You've got tax collectors, okay? 66 books written by 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years in three different languages on three different continents. And all of those authors combined collectively, all these books put together, they all agree about the three most controversial existential questions that everybody disagrees about. Where Where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? The odds that all of that can agree about those things doesn't happen except for God. He has made sure that his word endures and is pervasive across any culture. And there are people in history who have paid the price of their lives to make sure that you and I can have one of these in our hands. Can I tell you about some of them? See, like the 14th, up to the 14th century, the Roman Catholic Church would use the fact that this was not written in a common language. The common people couldn't read this. It was written in a dead language, and so they would use that to manipulate people and oppress people because they didn't know what God was saying. They couldn't hear from God. They had to use a priest or a leader to be able to hear from God until a few people came along and said, that's not right. Everybody should be able to hear from God because the power of the Holy Spirit, the priesthood of all believers, we should be able to hear what God has to say and and read it through his word. This is John Wycliffe right here. John John Wycliffe was the first guy to translate the Bible in a common language. After he died, he was buried in a Roman Catholic cemetery, and they were so upset about that that they dug up his bones, they burned his bones, and they scattered his ashes over the river because he wasn't fit to be buried in a sacred cemetery because he wanted the Bible to be in everybody's hands. As history goes on, John Hughes, who came after John Wycliffe, he was a preacher who really believed that reading and preaching the Bible in the common language should be practiced, and so he did that in his church. Because of it, friends, he was burned at the stake cost him his life. Martin Luther, I'm sure you've heard of him, nailed the 95 theses to the door as grievances against the Catholic Church. He translated the Bible into his common language, German, and the Diet of Worms, because of that, made Luther an outlaw, making it illegal to give him food and water, put a bounty on his head, and permitted anyone to kill him without legal consequence. Can you imagine looking over your shoulder for the rest of your life just because you wanted people to be able to read the Bible? This is William Tyndale. He was kind of the first to mass distribute the translated Bible. Because of it, he was strangled to death and tied, uh, while tied to a stake, and then his body was burned. Thomas Cranmer, he supported the translation of the Bible into English. Then the Catholic Church pressured him so much to recant in front of people so that he could influence other people to follow the Catholic Church. So he recanted over and over. On his last trial, he felt so convicted about recanting He renounced all of his previous recantations, and while he is going to be burned at the stake, says, my 
hand that wrote these recantations is not worthy to be burned with my body, so I'll put my hand in the flames first and let that burn first. Cost him his life. Miles Coverdale, he created the first completed printed version of the Bible. Because of it, he was exiled for all of his life. Thomas Cromwell, he was a political leader that directed the clergy to make a translation of the Bible in English and put it out so everyone could read it because he was beheaded. Many historical reports say that the executioner had trouble severing his head. So you can just imagine the display of that day. Then they took his head and they skewered it on a stick, on a stake, and they um, put it on display on the London Bridge. These are, these are, these are men in history, friends, that, that went through some of the most atrocious martyrdoms so you and I could have the Bible in our hands. There's many modern-day martyrs, people who are being persecuted to make sure that God's word can be put in a common language all over the world. Guys, listen to me. Why would anybody do that? Why? Because they know how powerful God's word is. And they know what it can do. If you get God's word into you, they know how it can transform you. God, God's word is practical. God's word gives us the practical how-to of life. If you're struggling this year and you're going, okay, I don't know what to do about my marriage. God, God's word says everything that you need about your marriage. The principles that govern this govern your marriage. If you're figuring out what, what do I do about what about what do I do about parenting, my kids? God's word says so much about parenting. What do I do about my money, my finances? I'm struggling with that. God's word says so much. Jesus said more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. What do I do about all of these things? What do I do about this difficult thing I'm going through, my career, all this stuff? God's word is so practical for this. God's word is like this roadmap that tells us exactly where we need to go. Wouldn't it be so nice if God would just show us everything about his will, right? This is what you're supposed to do. This is what, you know, God does not want to hide his will from you at all. He's not trying to like, well, you got to figure this one out. <laughs> Sorry. No, but you're not going to know God's will outside of his word, his word is his voice to you. I can't tell you how many times I've been like just reading through God's word and it's been like, oh my gosh, I've read it through so many times, but that verse just stuck out to me and spoke to me, comforted me, convicted me, pointed me in the right direction that I needed to go. It's like, the, it's like turn by turn instructions for you. You guys ever use, you know, like maps on your phone, you know, navigation system? How many of you are like me where I don't go anywhere without plugging into my GPS? So because of that, I have no idea where anything is. Anybody? If I was like without my phone, I would be messed up, you know? Uh, I was thinking about the other, just as a poll, how many of you guys are Waze users? You like Waze? I love Waze because it like reroutes you. It has all these cool features. Any um, Google Maps users? Okay. It's very polarizing in here right now. How many uh, Apple Maps? Okay. All right. We got a lot of different users right here. Uh, I was thinking, I was driving the other day. I'm like, you know, I, I put in like Mercy Road Carmel in Waze just to make sure at 730 in the morning on a Sunday, there's no traffic that I need to get rerouted or something, right? And so I'm struggling to know where to go without my navigation system. And I'm thinking while I'm driving in this navigation, what did we used to do before those things? <laughs> MapQuest. Do you remember that? You look it up before you go and you print it out. What do you like? I'm going, man, it's really unsafe to have my phone following navigation, but man, MapQuest, that's any better. Or before that, an atlas? You know, I was like, honey, we're going to turn right. You know, like, that's, it's just crazy. 
Now, when I grew up in Alabama and I used to go to my undergrad in South Carolina, visit home back before I had to go through Atlanta, there's this place called Spaghetti Junction right here that I'd have to go through. And I didn't have ways. I didn't, if I did have ways, when we got to Spaghetti Junction, it would have been like, uh, you're on your own. You know, it's like, because it's just messed up. So I'm, all, I'm like going all over the, trying to figure this thing out. MapQuest, you know, print it out. It's not working for me. And so, so this right here, I believe, is what many of our lives looks like sometimes. It feels confusing and chaotic, and we don't know which direction to go. Can I tell you the answer to that? The answer to that is God's word. Turn-by-turn instructions telling you which way you should go. Scripture says if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask for it because he gives wisdom. He gives the Holy Spirit freely to those who ask. And God's word will tell us practically which way we need to go. Now, he doesn't light up the whole way. His word says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, which means we've got a lamp on a dark trail that we just know the next step. That's it. If God showed us the whole route, the whole destination, it would freak us out. I would love it if God would just be like, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. You know, this is where you're supposed to go to college or where you're supposed to, what career you're supposed to have. But that's not how it works. He, he invites us into a step-by-step, turn-by-turn instructions. Why? Because of relationship. Because he knows that if we just know the destination, one, we're freaked out. Two, we'll think that we don't need him. And when we think that we don't need him, when we lack dependence on him and the power of this word right here, that's when our life dries up and we get empty and we get lost and I wonder how many of you are ending 2021 and that's what you feel you just feel empty you feel lost you feel dry see God's word is powerful it's powerful the dryness that you're feeling What happens with Scripture is Scripture will breathe life into that dryness. See, John 1, it goes on and tells us, it says in John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I'll be honest with you guys. I'm, I'm closing out 2021, and I feel some places in my soul and in my heart that just feel, just little crevices that feel dark some things that I need the light of God's word to shine into, to revive me. That's what God's word promises it does. See, it it talks about itself. It gives us promises of what it will do if we get in God's word. It says God's word does not return void. It says that it will go out and accomplish everything that God intended it to do. I mean, on one hand, that gives a, a preacher like me a lot of confidence because it doesn't matter how people respond to what I say, as long as I stick to this right here, as long as I speak God's word, I know God's word's gonna do his work in your life. I know that without God's word, there's no work that can be done. That, I, that when we go through life and we try to work and we try to grapple and we, and we try to white knuckle things, that it does not work, but God's work is done through his word. And it's gonna go out and it's gonna accomplish everything that it was intended to accomplish. It's gonna revive your soul. It's gonna quench your thirst. It's going to do everything that it needs to to break strongholds in your life. Come on. What was it in Ezekiel? It says in Ezekiel with this valley of dry bones, God told Ezekiel, speak the word over these bones. And what happened? The bones assembled. And they assembled up into these skeletons. And he said, Ezekiel, speak the word again 
over these bones. And when he spoke the word again, sinew and muscles and tendons and all the skin began to assemble around those skeletons. He said, Ezekiel, speak the word again. And when he spoke the word, these bones came to life and there was an army in front of Ezekiel. The word is powerful. It's the same word when Jesus speaks out of his mouth and says, Lazarus, come forth. This man who was dead for four days comes walking out of a grave because in the darkness, the light of the word shines. It's the same word, friends, that when spoken over your life, when breathed into your soul, will revive you. This is powerful. Scripture tells us it's living and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. You know, Ephesians 6 tells us all of these things that we have as an armor to be able to war against and fight off the, the, the strategies of the enemy. And it lists all of these different defensive pieces that we have, and then it lists one piece, the only piece that's offensive, the sword of the Spirit, God's Word. You know, can I tell you something? The enemy knows this better than most of us. That's scary, isn't it? I mean, he used God's word against Jesus in Matthew chapter four. He's gonna twist this and manipulate this and try to get it to say what we want it to say so that we bend God's word around our life instead of going, what are you saying, God? What does it mean? What do you want for me? This, friends, is powerful. And man, all I want and all we want is for you to fall in love with this. Again, I don't mean to make you feel condemned or make you feel like this heavy burden. What I mean to make you feel, my intention is to make you feel inspired, to begin to grow your desire to, to get in God's word. My wife and I just celebrated our anniversary and thank you, thank you so much. Um, you know, I love the word as far as like the written, I'm a words of affirmation person. I think words are powerful. Um, please don't come up afterwards and be like, that was a great sermon, pastor, just because you know I'm words. Okay, please don't do that. Maybe feel really awkward if you do that. Um, so I'm a words of affirmation person. And if, if my wife writes me a letter for our anniversary, right, what would it communicate to her? And what would it say about my heart if I go, hey, thanks, and never touch it? What does that do? Guys, this is God's love letter to us where he tells us his promises. He tells us his plans. He tells us what he wants for our lives. Not what he wants from us, what he wants for us and how we can partner with him to do something in this world to make a difference. This, there's power here. So, when we, when, when we leave from here, we're going to close here in a second. What I want to challenge you to do is just take a step in this. Maybe you've never started reading God's word and maybe like this is the year you just start. Maybe this is the year you start doing it every single day. Um, we have reading plans that um, we've got there for you, you know, in the, at the Welcome Center. We'd love for you to pick one up if you want to kind of get a guide on how to do that. There's a lot of great resources um, the YouVersion Bible app has a lot of great reading plans. My favorite reading plan is from a, a friend of mine named Tara Lee Cobble who does the Bible Recap Podcast. But she'll go through an entire Bible, the entire Bible with you over the course of a year. So if you've like, man, I've, I want to read the Bible, that would be such an incredible thing for us to do as a group of people. It's just read the Bible over the course of the year. 
And what, what they do with the Bible recap is they just kind of summarize every day. This is what you read. This is kind of what it means. This is how you can apply it to your life. Just some great resources out there. It doesn't matter what translation you read. It doesn't matter. Read the NIV, ESV, NASB, KJV, PB&J. Doesn't matter, okay? <laughs> just get started with something. Something that's gonna stir your affections, that's gonna get you to desire to read more. Listen to preachers that when you listen to them, you go, man, I wanna read the Bible like that person reads it. Listen to podcasts that teach you about how to read the Bible. Just get a desire to read God's word because it will change you this year, friends. It will change you. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes? Jesus, I just thank you so much for what you're doing in this room. I can just sense your spirit from the moment this service started. I can sense that you're awakening some things inside of us. So I pray that as we continue to respond, I pray that you would do something really special.